Well, greetings, Grace Chapel, Lexington, Watertown, Wilmington, East Lexington, Foxborough, Amherst, Courtyard, GC at Night, online, and anywhere else in the world you might happen to be joining us right now. We're glad you are with us. So last weekend, I took my granddaughter to the movies. We were out in Chicagoland meeting our newest grandson, Harris Bryan, who was uh, born to Mark and Ellie a couple of weeks ago. And uh, that's a two-and-a-half-year-old Hadley there in my arms. It was a typical Chicago January day, cold, gray, nothing to do. And uh, someone had tipped me off that I might like the new Disney movie, given this current series that we're in. So on a matinee, we went off to the movies to see Moana. It tells the story of a young Polynesian princess who comes of age on the beautiful island of Motunui. Now, her people have lived on this island for a long time. And they really have everything they need there for a happy life. Plenty of coconuts, plenty of fish, plenty of beauty and joy all around. But much as she loves her island, ever since she was a young girl, Moana has sensed the call of the ocean. She's had this desire to go exploring and to see what else is out there. But her father and island tradition forbid anyone from going beyond the coral reef. Well, after some years pass, life begins to deteriorate on their island. The coconuts are rotten on the inside. There are fewer and fewer fish to catch, and life is getting difficult. Moana suggests to her father, the chief, that there probably are more fish beyond the reef, but he will hear none of it. At that moment, Moana's grandmother explains to her that what's wrong is that the heart of the island has gone missing stolen by a demigod and taken out to sea. The only way to save the island is for someone to set sail and recover that lost heart and bring it back. But no one's allowed to go beyond the reef, Moana says. And that's when her grandmother decides to tell her the real story of their people. So she takes Moana to a secret cove where a a fleet of sailing ships have been hidden for years. The grandmother explains that that they had once been a seafaring people who sailed the ocean in search of new places to live and fish. But somewhere along the way, they'd become afraid of the ocean. They'd become too comfortable on their island, and they'd lost their heart for adventure. And now their island and their people were in peril. And at that moment, the grandmother looks Moana in the eye and says, wait for it. Someone has to go. <laughs> Someone has to go. And true in true Disney tale fashion, young Princess Moana rises to the occasion, says, we were voyagers once, we can be voyagers again. And she sets sail on a grand adventure to recover the lost heart of Motunui and discover the person she was meant to be. It was scary. It was difficult. I had to cover Hadley's eyes at points. <laughs> But it was an adventure, and in true Disney fashion, spoiler alert, it has a happy ending. (laughs) Now, I may be a grandfather, but I am still a preacher. And I sat there with a three-year-old eating gummy gummy bears on my lap, thinking to myself, now that story will preach. (laughs) So here we are at the end of our four-week series as we're casting vision for what's next at Grace Chapel. And like the people of uh, Motunui, we are beginning to sense that life is changing around us. The fish have moved. 
Ministry is harder than it's ever been before. We can no longer just sit back and wait for people to come to us. In the words of Moana's grandmother, somebody has to go. The truth is, everybody has to go. And so we are casting vision for this grand adventure of going and doing in Jesus' name. We're talking about a, a, a fundamental shift in our ministry model from a come-and-see approach to ministry to a go-and-do approach to ministry, to doing justice and loving mercy and sharing the good news of Christ in word and deed. We want to leave the comfort and familiarity of church as we've always known it and gone, go beyond the walls of our church to the workplaces and schools and neighborhoods and city and needy places around the world. We want to help every single person at Grace Chapel. We want to help you discover your go, your unique contribution to the work of God in greater Boston and beyond right now in this season of our lives. Now, just to be clear, this vision is not based in a Disney film. It comes from the very words of Jesus himself, his parting words to his disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all peoples. Jesus never intended his followers to sit back and hold worship services and potluck dinners and wait for people to come to them. He intended for them to go from town to town and village to village, just as he had done, spreading good news, caring for the poor, healing the sick, and bringing good news of the kingdom. I got so inspired watching that crazy film last week, I... I went back to the scriptures to trace that word go all the way through the gospels. And you'd be amazed, it's everywhere. This is not some last minute thought Jesus had before he left, oh yeah, you guys, you better go. No, it's there from the very beginning. Just follow me for a minute. The initial call of disciples, Matthew 4, 19. Listen to how the New International Version translates it. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. It wasn't just the call to follow. It was a call to go. A little later, he actually names the 12 disciples. And look how it reads in Mark chapter 3. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. That word apostles means sent ones. As you follow Jesus through the gospel, he's constantly talking about going. When his disciples come looking for him early one morning, they find him in prayer and he says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. Another time he says to them, let's go to the other side of the lake, knowing that on the other side of the lake are, are Gentiles and demoniacs. A little later on, he says, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. In the parable of the great banquet, the king says to his servants, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you will find. These guys must have been exhausted. Every time they turned around, Jesus is telling them to go. And we haven't even gotten to the resurrection yet. The first thing Jesus says to the women, don't be afraid, go. Tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And then we have the Great Commission, which we've been using for this series, therefore go and make disciples of all peoples. And then finally, we get to the book of Acts, moments before he leaves to return to heaven. And the disciples ask him, Lord, what's next? And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It turns out they had only just begun to go. 
Friends, this is our calling. It's our calling to go. Reading through all those texts this past week, following that theme, I felt like Moana, rediscovering those ships hidden in the harbor. This is, this is the church we were meant to be. We were voyagers once, we can be voyagers again. We were witnesses once, we can be witnesses again. We were goers once, we can be goers again. Maybe we should stop calling ourselves Christ followers and start calling ourselves Christ goers because that's the spirit with which Jesus calls us. And I take the time to walk us through all these texts this morning because I want us to understand how very central, how primary, how essential this going vision is to the future of our lives and our church and our mission in the world. I don't want us to underestimate what a radical commitment we're talking about here, a dramatic shift I've been part of the church my whole entire life, and almost all the churches I've been part of have been vibrant, growing, wonderful churches. But every one of those churches, including this one, have been built on a come-and-see model of ministry. Let's do everything we can to attract people to our church. And as long as church and faith were important to people, that meant strategy worked fine. But our world has changed the fish have moved. We can no longer wait for them to come to us. We have to go and do. We have to go and look. In a time when 85% of people don't attend church services, coming and seeing is just not going to work anymore. And so we have to go more, more boldly, more creatively, more intentionally, more compassionately than we ever have before. It's going to be an adventure. Now, just so you know, this is not the first time we've embraced a new, fresh, and even bold vision for, for the ministry God has called us to. I'm remembering 15-some years ago, we sensed God calling us to a deeper, more vibrant community life as a congregation. And so we made the very bold, scary decision to tear down three of our four buildings and start over again. P.S., do you know why the courtyard is called the courtyard? Anybody know? Not many. It used to be a courtyard. It used to be a wide open space between four buildings. We tore them all down and started over. It was scary. It was costly. It was difficult. But aren't we glad we did it? The thousands and thousands of lives that have been saved and changed and transformed because of what's happened in this place over the past 15 years and, and in the years to come. And then a handful of years ago, five or six years ago, we sensed God calling us to leave behind the comfort of one church on one location and to begin to reach out to underserved neighborhoods with new campuses to become a multi-site church. It was scary, it was difficult, it was costly, but aren't we glad we did that? Multiple locations right now at this moment, people are seeking and worshiping and following and growing in their faith and doing good. It was worth it. And so here again, we find ourselves at yet another moment when we sense God calling us to something new and fresh and costly and difficult. But it has the potential to change the spiritual landscape of what we call Greater Boston. And just as important, it has the potential to form us into the people and the church we were meant to be from the beginning, goers and doers in Jesus' name.
So at the end of our service today, we are going to take our first step towards that vision. We're going to have an opportunity to come forward or to go backward or wherever we are on our campuses and bring our giving and going intentions before the Lord as we think about what he might be leading us to do and be in the next couple of years. And I think it's going to be a wonderful and meaningful moment. But if it is, there's two things we need to do first. First, I want to take a moment just to kind of recap the basic elements of the, of the, the vision and the mission so that you know what it is you're giving to. We want you to make a thoughtful, intelligent decision. And then secondly, we want to take a moment to allow the Lord to speak to our hearts. So I want to take you to a very beautiful little story of giving in the Gospels. So first, let me take a moment just to recap where our giving will go for the next couple of years. Again, in the interest of transparency, we want everyone to know. And by the way, if you're a guest here today, you're getting an earful, okay? An earful of church talk and even some money talk. But we hope that's okay. We hope you'll get a sense for who we are as a congregation and what God has put on our hearts. So it might help to think about your giving in terms of three buckets of mission, Okay. The first we call our core ministries, and then our mission partnerships, and then our strategic investments, okay? Let's first talk about our core ministries. That's kind of a, on the screen there, kind of reminds you of the kind of portfolio of ministries that happen in and around Grace Chapel, and many more than we could fit on that screen. Those are our general ongoing ministries, and most of your giving will go to support those ministries in the years to come. But I do want us to understand, it's not just going to be church as usual. We want to take a fresh look at every one of those ministries and ask, how is this ministry helping people discover life with God for the good of the world? How is it making disciples and mobilizing disciples? And if it's not, we want to do it better, we want to do it different, or we want to ask what God wants us to be doing instead to see that happen. So most of your giving will go towards those ongoing ministries, and we're going to begin this kind of transformative journey next week with our Roots Challenge. Next week, we're beginning this great discipleship journey as a church across all our campuses, nine weeks of discovering what it means to be connected to God and to his church and to our purpose in life. If you're trying to, still trying to figure out what your go is, the Roots Challenge is a great way to start. So be here next Sunday and pick up your book. So there's our core ministries. A second portion of our giving, a substantial portion, goes to our mission partnerships. And this map represents our 60-some partnerships, some of them here in greater Boston and others of them around the world. All of these partners are people and agencies and churches that are going and doing. And so we want to continue to invest in these going and doing partnerships, not only so they can reach and serve more people, but so they can help us reach and serve more people so we can learn from them and get engaged with the needs of our city and our world. And you should know about 20% of everything you give to Grace goes directly beyond our walls to support these mission partnerships. So there's core ministries, mission partnerships, and together those two things make up what we call our general fund. And so your weekly giving, monthly, however you give to Grace, goes to support those ministries. And we're praying that as we look towards these next two years, that every household, every giver, everyone who calls Grace Chapel home will simply ask God, what do you want me to do next? What step of generosity do you want me to take in terms of my giving for the next two years? But then there's a third bucket, and this we're calling strategic investments. And these are some projects we have for the next couple of years that will help us fulfill this vision of making and mobilizing more disciples. 
So the first is to make room for more people on the Wilmington campus. The truth is that congregation has been going and doing for years now. They've been going and doing so effectively that more and more people want to come and see. The problem is there's no room for those people to sit. There's no room for their children and their teenagers. And so we are proposing that we expand that Wilmington campus to double the size and capacity. In the past handful of years, that congregation has grown from 200-plus people to 500-plus people. We won't allow it to get to 1,000-plus people not only to reach and disciple more people there in the Wilmington area, but so that campus can then become a sending congregation for other campuses and locations in that part of our region. So we're praying for about $3 million to get going on that project. Now, the ultimate cost of the project will be more like $5 million or a little more, but $3 million will allow us to get started. The second strategic investment is to launch the Foxborough campus. As you know, God has provided us with this remarkable facility in a strategic location just down the road from where you know who play on Sundays. <laughs> and it happens to be a part of eastern Massachusetts that is just beginning to thrive and grow and a place where there are very few vibrant churches. We have 150 Grace Chapel people who are ready right now to go and do in that region. We got a crowd of folks who are already meeting there, waiting for us to show up. And so we believe it's time. So we hope to launch that campus this year. And we're praying for a million dollars to refurbish that facility so it's ready to go. And then to provide some startup funding for staff and ministry. And then thirdly, there are some strategic investments we need to make in really each of our campuses and our ministry as a whole so that we continue to be vibrant and effective. Each campus has unique potential. Each campus has to find new ways of going and doing. And so we want to have the resources so we can strengthen those campuses and be ready to act on opportunities the Lord opens up for us. And so that adds up to about $5 million of over and above giving beyond our general fund over the next couple of years so we can advance that. And so we're hoping that everyone who is able, inspired, might be able to give an additional go gift over and above. And we're praying that some of those gifts might be extraordinary gifts to enable us to reach that. Well, that's all very, very exciting to talk about. But right about now, some of you are thinking, $5 million. I mean, that's a lot of money. Where is that going to come from? And what difference can my gift possibly make towards that kind of a need? I am glad you asked that question because <laughs> I have this beautiful little story I want to take you to as we finish up. It's found in Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Let's just pause here for a minute and kind of understand what's happening here. Mark is describing a scene that took place in the outer courts of the temple, in particular the court of the women. It was available to everyone. And so in this courtyard were 13 offering receptacles where people could put their free will offerings. They were, they were made of metal and they were shaped like trumpets so that when people threw coins in, they would make noise. And the heavier the coins and the bigger the handful, the more noise it would make, signaling who the big givers were. 
and people noticed. Now, there's so many interesting things happening here. Let me just call your attention to a few. And the first is that Jesus intentionally positions himself beside one of these offering receptacles. He wants to watch people put their offering in. Apparently, Jesus is not uncomfortable with money and church and ministry. Apparently, for Jesus, the offering moment is a very spiritually significant moment. Apparently and uncomfortably, Jesus watches when we put gifts in the offering plate. It's also interesting to notice here that these offerings were not for the poor. These offerings were for upkeep on the temple, wood for the fires, oil for the lamps, clothing for the priests, furniture, maintenance, internet service. (laughs) All the exciting things nobody wants to give to. Apparently, Jesus is interested in money giving for operations as he is in money given for other kinds of reasons as well. Because Jesus understands if people aren't worshiping, worshiping meaningfully, they probably aren't witnessing effectively. If people aren't growing in their faith, they're probably not grow, going with their faith. So never undervalue the significance of gifts given to support ministries, organizations, and churches. A third interesting thing is that the coins this woman brought, woman brought were called lepta, which means thin. These were the smallest coins available at the time. They represented together five minutes of working class labor. Five minutes at minimum wage is what two lepta provided. It was said that these coins were so small and so thin that if you blew on them, they would fly right out of the palm of your hand. And so chances are, these two little coins didn't make much of a clink as they were tossed into the offering. So Jesus is watching as people come and go and put their offerings in. And then after this woman puts in her two cents, he speaks. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, this had to be a shocker to the disciples. I mean, financially speaking, pure math would say that this woman had given far less than anything that the rich people had put in. And spiritually speaking, they had always believed that that wealthy people were blessed people, were important, powerful people. And so surely their gifts mattered more to the temple and to God than this woman's gift. But Jesus is teaching a very simple lesson here. A lesson that's very important for us, even as we prepare for our intention moment here this morning. The lesson is this. Every gift matters. Every gift matters. No matter the size, every gift matters. Let me give you three reasons. First, every gift matters because every person matters. Every person matters. Think about this woman for a moment. In terms of status, she has three strikes against her. 
She's poor, she's a woman, and she's a widow. So socially, culturally, she is the least important person in the temple that day. And yet Jesus, Jesus notices her. He values her. Her gift matters to him. He is blessed by her gift. I happen to believe that Jesus broke a smile when he saw that woman toss her two cents in. And I say that because I want you to know that your gift matters because you matter. You matter. You matter to God and you matter to us. You bring a unique presence to the life and ministry of this community. A unique faith story. A unique set of life experiences. A unique set of gifts and skill and passion. A unique place in this community of greater Boston. A unique network of people you know through school and work and socializing. We are a richer community for every person who is a part of this community. And giving is a way of entering into the life of that community, bringing yourself to it. Uh, someone from Grace here was talking to one of our pastors this past week. They got talking about giving, and he said, you know, Pastor, I, I've discovered that when I started giving regularly to Grace, I stopped calling it your church, and I started calling it my church. And that's the kind of thing that happens when you invest something of yourself. You become part of it. And when you do, we become richer and better and more beautiful. And so we want to invite everyone to participate in this moment in a few minutes. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. It doesn't matter how new you are to faith or to grace. It doesn't matter how large or small your attention might be. We just want you to know we, we welcome and invite your participation in the life and mission of our church. Every gift matters. Secondly, every gift matters because God is able to multiply it. That woman could easily have said to herself, look at this magnificent temple. How can they possibly need my two cents? She could have looked at all the wealthy people throwing in handfuls of gold and silver and said, what, what difference do my tiny clinking coins make? From a human perspective, that woman's offering would barely pay for one stick of wood for one offering fire. But as the saying goes, little is much when God is in it. You see, we know what God can do with five loaves and two fish. We know what God can do with faith the size of a mustard seed. We know what God can do with one dollar. You know what God did with one dollar? Paid for our Watertown campus. We've told the story before. For a variety of reasons, the Watertown congregation didn't just give us their building, they sold it to us for a dollar. And Bill Burke was reporting, our executive pastor was reporting on that in a business meeting and said, they're gonna sell that to us for one dollar. And kind of as a joke, he said, anyone who wants to contribute that dollar, just let me know. <laughs> and a 12-year-old girl, from the Wilmington campus was the first one down. And she gave that one dollar that Bill gave to whoever, the banker, the realtor, whatever, whatever the deal was, and that dollar bought that campus. I mean, 
Little as much when God is in it. I was sitting with some leaders at a gathering this week. We were talking about the church and the vision and giving. As we came to the end of a rambling conversation, there was a, a, a man sitting on the floor quietly the whole time of this crowded living room. And when we were done, he said, you know, it's the craziest thing. We do this every few years. We cast vision for something new and everybody gives what they can. And, and God always does more than we ever imagined he was going to do. And it's true. And I have no reason to doubt that he's going to do that once again. And so whatever you bring, whatever your size, whatever your gift, both financially and ministry-wise, know that God can multiply it. And thirdly, every gift matters because every gift reveals something about our heart. Something about our heart. Notice what Jesus says. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. You see, the others gave out of their excess. They weren't likely to feel it. There was no real faith or sacrifice involved. But for her, this was an, she put in everything she had. I mean, isn't it interesting that she had two coins and she put in both? No one would have blamed her for putting in one coin. In fact, most of us probably would have counseled her. Look, you should be responsible put in one coin and God is fine if you keep one for yourself. But she tossed them both in. It was an act of pure, pure faith because she believed that God could provide even if she gave everything away. It was an act of pure devotion. Lord, I give you everything I have, my life. Jesus said it, where your treasure is, your heart will be. So what we give, how we give, reveals something about our hearts, about our faith in his ability to provide, about our love for his people and compassion for those in need, about our desire to grow in faith and joy and generosity and Christ-likeness. Giving doesn't just reveal our hearts. Giving actually shapes our hearts. It makes us more generous. It makes us more joyful. It makes us more trusting. It sets us free. And so as we prepare now for this moment, bringing our intentions to give and to go to the Lord, I want you for these next few moments just to forget all about the millions of dollars we talked about and the millions that are needed. That's irrelevant to you personally right now. And I want you to forget about what anyone else might be giving, how much or how little anyone else might be giving, because none of that matters right now. This is a moment between you and the Lord. It's you and him and these offering baskets. And they don't make any noise when you throw something into them. It's a personal moment. We want to invite you into that space. And so as you fill out that card and bring your gift, ask yourself this simple question. What does my gift reveal about my heart? Does it represent faith on my heart, trusting God to provide for me? Does it represent commitment on my part to his work in the world? Is it a gift that would make Jesus smile? So as we prepare, uh, we want to provide you with a few moments to be thinking and praying. Maybe you've done that already, but we want to give you a few more minutes in light of what we talked about this morning. So I encourage you to uh, take out that intention card that you either brought with you or someone uh, handed to you as you came in. We're going to ask our ushers to come down one more time in case you don't have one. We just want everybody to be able to participate. I think they might have pens with them as well if you need something to write with.
So on one side of the card, just to remind you, is a simple place for you to put your, your personal information so we know who you are and can uh, let you know about your gift, and a place to indicate what your next step might be. Maybe you want to begin giving, you want to begin giving regularly, you want to begin to become a tither, you want to go above and beyond tithing. Maybe you're simply not able to, to increase your giving right now. That's okay too. We just want you to feel part of it and let us know you're a part of the journey. So if you can fill that out, that would be great. But it's not just about giving, it's about going as well. And so there's space there to think about what your goal might be. Now, we don't expect you to have that all figured out right now, but maybe there's a place, a neighborhood, a school, a campus, a ministry, a need, a country that you're feeling energized about. Just put one or two, three things down there. And then the flip side, there's that simple worksheet. I hope it doesn't look too much like an IRS form. I hate to bring that up, but uh, it's a little bit like that. One of those worksheets just to help you think it through uh, carefully and thoughtfully what you might give each year for next year, for this year, 2017, next year, 2018. You can add that up, and that is your general fund giving for the next couple of years. And then below that is a chance to consider an over and above gift, a go gift to help provide that $5 million so we can advance those strategic investments over the course of the next couple of years. You should know the last time we did this, a few years ago, 400 people began giving to Grace. Nearly 1,000 indicated next steps. And it set us up wonderfully for these past two years of ministry. And so we're trusting God can do an even greater thing as he speaks to us uh, this year as well. So uh, we're going to give you a couple of minutes to fill out that card quietly. Feel free to talk it over if you want. Maybe you're with a spouse or family member. You want to talk it over a little bit. That's okay. Maybe you came with a number in mind and the Lord's challenged you to do something different. That's okay. Um, when you're done, you can just fold it up if you want. We'll throw it in the basket in here. Please know it's just our financial team that will receive the cards. And then if, after we've given you some time, we'll, you'll have a chance just to kind of slip out of your seat and come on down uh, during the singing and, and place it in the, in the offering basket. We're not going to come row by row because we don't want anyone to feel pressured to come. We'll just stand and sing, and when you're ready to come on down, come on down front or go up back in the courtyard. You can uh, do that as well in other, other locations. Let me say finally, if you're just not ready yet, if you feel like you need a little more time, a little more information, maybe you want to speak to us about some aspect, maybe you haven't really had the conversation at home about it, we'd rather have you wait. There's no rush. Take the time you need. You can give online. You can bring it in next week or the week afterwards um, and just participate that way. But what we would suggest, so you not miss this moment, is just write still praying on your card. Put your name, still praying, and put it down. And just your way of kind of joining us in this moment as well. And then you can give it uh, as you are ready the next couple of weeks. Now, I believe this is a very important moment for us. We don't often do this sort of thing here at Grace. We're not a big come down front kind of a church. But every once in a while we do. Sometimes we've come down front to put our sins on the cross and leave them there as a symbol of our forgiveness. Sometimes we've come down front to write names on a banner of people we're praying for and reaching out to. We've come down front to light candles for people we have lost and are missing and want to honor. We've come down front to receive ashes as a sign of repentance and forgiveness. Sometimes we come down front to receive the communion elements and, and, be, and be nourished in our faith. And those are always meaningful moments. And sometimes we come down to bring our gifts before the Lord. Because remember, we are whole people. 
We worship with our heads and with our hearts and with our hands and feet and bodies. And so this gives us a chance to do that. So as we enter into this time of worship, we're going to be playing a song on all our campuses. That's one of the most popular worship songs in the church today. It's called Oceans. And it describes that moment when Peter steps out of his boat, out of the comfort of his boat, and onto the windy, wavy water in response to the call of Jesus. And we're taking a similar step today. As we step out of our comfort zones in terms of finances and personal lives and church life, we step out to answer the call of Jesus and to go and give perhaps like we've never given before. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for leading us to this important moment over these past several weeks. Thank you for the way folks have patiently and thoughtfully engaged with the the vision and the material and thought and prayed. Thank you for an opportunity to be intentional about what we do with our finances, knowing how important it is to our lives and to our faith. We're grateful we have an opportunity now to grow in our faith and generosity and commitment and to see what you might do in and through our lives and church in the days to come. So Lord, make these moments meaningful. Speak to our hearts, we pray. We know that you will meet us out on the waters of faith just as you met Peter. Just as you saw him through, you will see us through. And we will know the great adventure of walking with you and of being your people in this world. We know that you'll be with us as you promised in the next two years and always to the end of the age as we go and make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll begin with some just quiet instrumental music. So you have a couple moments to think, pray, talk, fill out your card. At a certain moment, the worship leaders will invite us to stand and sing. And at that moment, when you feel ready, you can just slip on out and bring your gift down front. I would suggest maybe as you fold it up and put it in, you might simply say, Lord, I'm ready to go. Lord, I'm ready to go. And then head back to your seat. When we're all done, we'll just uh, continue and end in worship together.